I think the companies that are focused on building out their ecosystems and really focused on, you know, those key strategic partners, that trust building, we're going to see them come out as the leaders. And these leaders might look completely different than who we're seeing today. Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Menzion, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders in this forum to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Menzion. Welcome or welcome back to The Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I'm Vince Menzion, your host. And as we kick off the four-year anniversary of this podcast, I'm thankful to all of the amazing thought and business leaders who've come to this podcast to share principles, success strategies, and best practices that help technology organizations thrive during this age of change and transformation. For this episode of the series, I was delighted to welcome a friend and a woman I admire, Cassandra Golston, the CEO of PartnerTap, a partner ecosystem technology platform where she is responsible for the strategic vision of the company. I've known Cassandra since the early days of PartnerTap, and she is taking the sector by storm, focused on partner ecosystems and helping organizations get the best results from co-selling. In this episode, Cassandra and I go deep on a topic we are both passionate about, partnering and co-selling. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed my time with my friend, Cassandra Golston. Cassandra, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, man. I'm excited to be here. I am excited to welcome you as a guest to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. Our paths have been crossing for at least four years now. You're the CEO of PartnerTap, a partner ecosystem technology platform, and an amazing entrepreneur and doing great work in this ecosystem. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Thanks. So for our listeners who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about PartnerTap? Sure. So at PartnerTap, we are basically an ecosystem platform that really helps companies drive revenue from each partnership. And so what we do at our core is you can think of PartnerTap like a Switzerland. We sit in between two partnering companies that are looking to share data. And what they do is they're sharing account data. And we're basically mapping that data across their ecosystem of partners so that the companies are able to understand where they should be going to market with each partner. We do that at a channel level, and we also take it all the way down to the sales floor, where large organizations are actually having sales teams co-sell on our platform. So really exciting time for PartnerTap, especially right now. And how did this technology evolve? Like, how did you get started? So this really evolved out of a problem that I had myself. I had been in software sales for many years. I was co-selling and 
it was an issue where trying to understand once you built trust with your partners, where could you go deeper? What account should you be focused on? And figuring that out was a completely manual process. You you know, might be inside of a really large organization and that organization has hundreds of partner companies. Which one should you be working with on each deal? And that question is so difficult when you're, you know, just one person sitting inside of a large company with partnering with other large companies. So it was in that where I just thought, you know, there's got to be an easier way to do this. I know that I could make more money personally if I had a tool that mapped me against my partners, showed me which opportunities we should be co-selling on. We were doing this manually. And so I studied the market and really saw that there, what was happening was more companies were being born in the cloud, more companies were going to be co-selling in the future. And there was a big market opportunity to build a technology. So fast forward four years, we have some of the largest enterprises using our technology today. And we have evolved from not just a sales co-selling application, but really to a full ecosystem application. So it's really exciting. So when I started out in the world of partnering, we would take a spreadsheet and we would send it over to a partner and we would compare territories. We'd look at, you know, try to get account mapping and try and get some triangulation there. How have you taken that a step further? Like what happens? How do I know which partner to work with, by the way? How does that all happen within the technology? So there's a lot of different factors about which partner you should be working with. But at the core, at the at, at a data level, right, it's understanding which you really should be co-selling with your most strategic partners first, right? Those are the partners that you've already have trust built up. So using an application to map data and understand which companies you should be working with, first step is I've got to trust my partner because we're going to be sharing information. So with PartnerTap, you're putting in, you know, the Switzerland space. So we're saying we do trust each other. We're bringing the data in and then based on a lot of different fields, right, that are inside of company CRM system, like, um, you know, which of my customers have the highest NPS and how does that map to my partner's prospects or our mutual customers of these mutual customers, which ones have the highest NPS? These are probably the ones that we can expand together, or these are the ones that I can recommend my partner to sell into. So there's a lot of different information that we can pull in that is that lives inside of the CRM system. And that's what we are showing and basically providing insights to our customers on. Where, where this maps in between the two organizations and which ones you should focus on. You know, you mentioned an interesting point here, which is very true around trust. Is there a qualitative measure? Like I, I take some of my clients through a triaging exercise in terms of selecting the right partners in which to co-sell with. Is there some type of qualitative process or quantitative process you do within the system? So 
in the system, we immediately know who trusts each other by how much data they share. Mm. For an open co-selling relationship, they're going to share everything. For a untrustworthy partnership, they might share a subset, a very small subset. So that's how we know in our system. But I think it's with companies that are looking to, you know, I want to, I want to build out a co-sell program. The number one thing that has to happen is both sides of the partnership need to be compensated. There needs to be some sort of compensation. And if we're taking this down to the field level where sales teams are going to work hand in hand together on deals, each side has to feel like there's something in it for them to help the part to to bring the partner in or work together with the partner. And so often these programs fail because one side doesn't have as much compensation. So there's nothing in it for them to work with the partner. So that becomes really difficult. And and it's why so many companies are furious that they sign up and they think that they're going to be co-selling with a larger company when in reality, their compensation isn't there. So, So that's number one. But then beyond compensation, it's trust right? So even if our two companies are compensating both sides, if we go down to the field level, and I've heard that this part, you know, there's some sort of channel conflict that has happened, that can just go through the organization like a wave. And all of the sales people in, you know, a certain territory are saying, I'm not going to ever work with this partner. So Co-selling is extremely difficult because there's so many levels. It's not just at the channel level where you're building trust. It's going down to the field level. It's going down to those sales leaders. Everybody has to be all in on both sides. You know, you struck a really strong chord here with me because I find that partners often struggle making the transition, right? They come together in these kumbaya meetings, I call them. Mm -hmm. And then transitioning from that, yeah, we're going to go charge up the mountain. We're going to take on the world together. And then nothing ever happens. And Mm -hmm. it's what I call where the rubber meets the road, this traction, this actual co-selling. You brought up a couple points here, right? Around trust, around compensation. Why do you think organizations do get stuck? I think that... I think number one is they, a lot of these companies are are doing co-sell because that's what everybody is talking about, but they have come from a culture that is not about sharing information and partnering in, in this new way. They're coming from a culture where they were very guarded with their partners. Maybe it was a completely traditional resale partnership. A lot of times there isn't that trust, even though these companies have partnered together forever. And so they're trying to shift a sales culture that was not partner friendly to a completely friendly partner culture where we're open, we're sharing. I talk to so many companies that say, you know, they come from the Kumbaya meeting, but they're not 
sharing accounts. So if you're not going to share accounts and we're really supposed to co-sell together, then you've got to go back to square one and that kumbaya meeting needs to have, you need to have more of those, right? Because you don't have the trust built up. It's with partnerships, 60% of your meetings that you have, whether it's at the channel level, whether it's at the sales leader level or the sales rep level, 60% of those meetings are relationship building And especially right now, that's very difficult when we don't have conferences, happy hours, lunches, just that human communication where we're in person. Building that trust is is more difficult now than ever. And so when we are on these meetings with partners virtually, we have to remember that we have to spend time relationship building to get that trust factor. If the partner is not going to be willing to share data, you have a lot more work to do. I've also heard companies say, you know, our our partners won't give us lists. And I've said, well, have you asked them? And nine times out of 10, they don't even ask for, you know, to, to share data. And it's it's like if you're going to co-sell together then you need to understand what accounts you're going to be working on where is the go to market strategy you you have to know the data in between right and sometimes it's going to take a lot longer to get to that but if you're not asking right okay well let's let's understand where our data overlaps and which accounts we should market together on right now out of the gate. If you're not asking that, then just know your competitor is. Because I'll tell you, we have companies working with the largest companies and the large companies are providing lists to everybody that's asking. So I, th- I think that's that's step one is after that kumbaya meeting, really, you have to put a plan in place. And that plan has to be around where is that intersection point that we should, where's the low hanging fruit right now where we can have that success out of the gate? You know, you brought up a couple of points here that I believe are key. One was around mindset, right? The organization mm-hmm. has to have, I'll call it an abundance mindset, a growth mindset, a forward mindset around partnering. So many organizations, so many SaaS software companies come at the world at a very, like, we, we can sell it all. We don't need a channel. I don't want to share my leads. I don't want to share my customers. I don't trust you. I don't want you involved in my accounts, right? So there's that added, there's that mindset. And then you mentioned two other things that are kind of key to me. One is around sort of the commitment, the commitment to have the meetings, to continue to drive and to share lists. And then I think the other piece, and you kind of touched on this one as well, was around focus. Like we need to focus, like we need to have focus on execution of co-selling. Right, right. And I think one of the the big ways to have focus is we're setting expectations, right? Because even in a co-sell relationship, there can be some areas where we might compete. And so how do we both trust each other, but also compete in in other areas? And this is where it gets complicated. And this is another reason why these programs fail a lot. And best partner leaders that I've talked to are great at setting expectations. 
I think they've learned early on in their career, they've, you know, had things happen where it's burned them. And so just setting the expectations of, you know, here's where we're going to work together. And I'm going to make sure that we're above board. And if we are in an opportunity that where we're competitive, we're just taking that off the table. And just the fact that knowing we're not here to gain insights to compete with you in this area of our business, we are going to go full trusting and and we're going to work together over here. You know, we're, we're going to compete, but it's separate. So it's expectation setting that will help the two companies definitely focus and understanding where that middle ground is where we can co-sell and focusing just there. That's why these platforms right now, these data sharing platforms are flourishing because of the way that partnerships are changing due to the cloud. Yeah. You bring up some really great points. I'd love to peel back a little bit more. You talked about those types of clients. Can you share with us where you focus, who some of your key customers are in the market and why they selected PartnerTap? Sure. One of the companies that we've been working with for a long time, and we've done a lot of expansion inside of their organization is ADP. And it's a great example of a company where you know they compete with their partners but they also co-sell and you know partner tap has really given them a way to focus in in specific areas where they can co-sell and you know leave the rest of that data private so so we we can find a middle ground where our teams are going to work together and in some of these partnerships, they've taken it all the way down to the field level where their field teams know this specific field rep in the other company that they should be working with on particular opportunities. And then we also have an instance where their marketplace, right, uses partner tap specifically for understanding where do we have uh, mutual customers with these partners? Because the marketplace, you know, these, these, their ADP's customers are actually making purchases, right, through, through the marketplace. So that understanding of which customers should they be marketing to, you know, when they're in the payroll platform based on, you know, where they have these mutual customers across their ecosystem and understanding which of these customers have the highest propensity to buy through the marketplace. So it's just been an interesting account for us because they have so many different complexities of in instances of, of partner tap. Yeah. And, it, you know, when you mentioned marketplaces, they were sort of ahead of the game there, right? And a lot of the, you know, I the hyperscalers were following behind uh, ADP in terms of the use of a marketplace to deliver the solution. Yes, yes. And now we're seeing marketplaces, everyone's creating a marketplace, which is good because that's the way people are buying and, and that is the future, especially now with the pandemic. I mean, it is really fast forwarded 
this digital trans- transformation light years, right? I mean, yep. we, so it's the companies that are there now, it's great. The companies that are getting there, good, you're, you're a little behind, but it's forced us all to definitely work differently and, and think of different strategies to connect with, with our buyers. You know, you brought up a really great point about the pandemic and this time like no other. And marketplaces are becoming more prevalent now because of what's happened and people are people are doing their own shopping, right? We're shopping online. We're we're not necessarily <laughs> you're not going to the grocery store, you're ordering online and so on. What else have you seen that you didn't expect to see this past year during this time? I think the one thing that really weighs heavy on me, honestly, is women leaving the workforce in droves. That's something that I think about probably on a daily basis. I think, you know, we were already limited to, you know, women in technology. We were, you know, making a lot of leaps and we were going in a in a great direction. And the pandemic has forced a lot of women to have to leave the workforce. And it's it's really sad. As as a leader myself, I mean, we we had an employee that that, you know, had to had to take a leave. And so I just it's that's one thing that I just didn't foresee. But if you can imagine trying to run a high powered career, you have kids at home and one person needs to stay home and homeschool because that is so difficult. It's it's falling on women's shoulders. And so for me as a leader, I just I I want to be as supportive as possible and and I just hope that when this all is over and who knows if it's even going to be over at the end of 2021, it's just uncertain right now. What is going to happen when those women try to come back into the workforce? And I think as as business leaders, we need to welcome them back. But it's depressing statistics, honestly, reading it, living it too, right? But yeah. fortunately, our key employee was able to come back. But, you know, having somebody that, you know, all of a sudden, it's just homeschooling isn't working. And I have to, I have to leave. That's, that's, that's so tough. It um, is very tough. And, you know, we've seen this negative result. You know, I had Gabriella Schuster on the podcast before the end of the year. We talked about the decrease of women in technology from, I think it was 36% down to 27% over the last several years. And now to see this happen, we, we really need to work on this. This is certainly an issue. I've, I've had other women in technology leaders on as well. I think it's an issue we need to take up as a technology community, if you will, in right. terms of driving the right results or driving it back in the right direction. Right. Yeah, so it is a tough topic and we could we could spend a lot of time here and I would like to spend more time here in the future. But as you know, this series of the podcast is focused on how are we moving forward into 2021? And I'm focusing on asking each of the leaders in this space about their predictions and advice for partners coming out of 2020 and into 2021. What advice would you give our listeners to help them optimize success in 2021? My advice is really to take a deep look 
inside of your partner ecosystem and really ask yourself, which of these partner companies have I built the most trust with? Where are those gaps? I think right now, we, because we're not flying around and we're not traveling and we're in one spot, I think it's we have more time to reflect. And I think the companies that are focused on building out their ecosystems and really focused on, you know, those key strategic partners and that trust building, we're going to see them come out as the leaders. Um, And these leaders might look completely different than who we're seeing today, just because the people that were leading channels really looked at, you know, who, who are we going to take to the next level in 2021? Who in the ecosystem is it? And what work do we need to do around trust building? So you came back to trust building. So I want to, I want to emphasize that, right? You, you believe that that is a key attribute to success in 2021. Absolutely. So as you know, I focus in on this podcast on what characteristics make a great partnership and why they fail. And we've been talking about trust building. So I'm also hoping to pivot a little bit here too as well. Like what characteristics do you believe make a great partnership? Number one, there needs to be um, there needs to be a win-win for both sides. And you know, if both sides are coming to the table and there is a real win-win in the partnership, there is a recipe there or the ingredient for success. And then beyond that, it needs to be trust. And beyond that, it needs to be, we're going to be sharing information together and we're going to be open. And I think those three things are are the keys to making a great partnership successful. There's a lot of other work that goes in, and I know you do a lot of that work, but those are the three, the top three things that I think about need to happen after that kumbaya meeting, right? That you talked about. I agree with you. I agree with you. So much of what you just said is so foundational. And you know, information sharing isn't a one-time thing, right? It's not right. just sharing that lead. It's it is a continual process. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I talk about with co-selling is it's it's not just we had a phone call. Like we have a dialogue. We meet once a month. I have a regular ongoing with you to understand situationally where are you with this customer? Where am I with this customer? Because there's a triangulation that needs to happen in order to be more successful together in that account that isn't just a one and done type of thing. Right, right. It's a constant work. It's constantly working at the relationship and making sure that there is a win-win there. And once, once one side stops winning, that's when the partnership starts to go downhill. And so recognizing that before it happens. Is there any instance or situation you recall where you saw like a partnership fall apart? Like, what do you believe was the kryptonite? Like, what would you have said to them to, to get them back on the right path? I think partnerships will fall apart. They'll, they'll fall apart. I've seen a lot fall apart really quickly. You know, there's this big kickoff and... And then nothing. So see that all the time. When you have a really long-term partnership that falls apart, 
it's a lot of work to rebuild. But it can be done though. I've seen that happen too, where, you know, these are 20 year partnerships, huge issue, channel conflict comes up. And, you know, it's a couple years to rebuild, rebuild that partnership. It can be done, but most of them fail right after they launch. Yeah. They didn't get started. That's where the traction doesn't happen, right? right. The, rubber, the rubber doesn't meet the road. We never get beyond that initial kumbaya. Right. And and then the older partnerships, it's almost like, you know, it, it, this is so analogous to marriage or relationships, personal relationships, right? <laughs> so the older relationships, like I've got a lot of baggage built up over time. Yes. <laughs> and the first right. bad thing that happens, I run, I run the, I'm like, I've had it. This is, I'm yeah. over. <laughs> but I do see this so much, so often in these long-term business relationships that, and it also where they stall, they just stall because mm-hmm. we think we know the partner and you knew the partner 20 years ago, but the world has changed. Our technology's evolved. Our marketplace has changed and I haven't, right. I haven't evolved with it. Right. And the players have changed in both organizations. So you're yes. constantly relationship building with new players. So, so true. that's the other difficult part. <laughs> There's so many complexities about there is, there is. I love this yeah. conversation. This is so like we could go here all day. Let's have a couple of cups of coffee here. But I know I know our listeners are gonna want to <laughs> turn turn us off at some point. So I do want to talk about you and your career a little bit more. You're you're a woman in entrepreneur in technology, still a very male-dominated world. We talked about the percentages here. We've, you know, Gabriella Schuster's done an amazing job. I love her TED talk, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it or watch it, it's amazing. What were the challenges that you needed to overcome getting started? And what advice would you give to anyone starting their own technology company? You know, I was very lucky that I spent the last five years before founding this company in pretty much a woman-led division. Elena Donio was a GM of our division. And she actually became the president of Concur two years before, you know, I left. And across the org in Elena's division, it was really 50-50, male and female. And when you see that, it just doesn't you know, it doesn't resonate with me that there's, you know, that you can't go and build a company or you can't go become president of your organization. There's another woman, Crystal Beaumont. She became the CRO and she reported to Elena and she now is the CEO of Talent. And she just brought four executives, four female executives with her over to Talent. And you know, there was all this press about, I can't believe that she'd bring four females with her. But had it been the inverse, you know, there, there would have been no press about it. But I think it's, it's, you know, for women like Crystal, for women like myself, for all the female leaders that I worked alongside, it was just, there wasn't a difference. You never felt that like you were less than or you couldn't do something. It, you just saw, you watched the example. And it was being done. And so it, you know, founding a company, I realized that yes, there are not very many female founders, but that's exciting. That's a lot of opportunity. And I want to be an example just like Elena was to me for 
other entrepreneurs that are females. I mean, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter. And I've always, you know, before that worked in, worked on the sales floor and that's, you just have a tough skin. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Things don't phase you like that. You just can't let that stuff phase you. So I, I was really lucky, I think, because I guess everywhere else it wasn't 50-50 and there weren't a lot of examples of women leaders. But in- You know, I've worked in both. I've worked in organizations that were 50-50 and organizations that were very heavily skewed male, uh, very mm-hmm. different organizations culturally, as you might imagine. Was there any one piece of advice you received either when you got started in tech or when you started PartnerTap that you could share with our listeners? You know, there was one piece of advice and it was from Nicole Sanner and she said, never look back and never think coulda, shoulda, woulda, just go. Just go. I love that. Mm-hmm. And what did and that, what did that, how did you interpret that? And, and what was your action from that? Well, I think in the early days, um, you can do a lot of coulda, shoulda, woulda. And I would always come back to her advice. And, you know, it's that growth mindset is all about mindset and just going forward. You just, you know, you're in the moment, you're working on what you need to work on, because you're, you're going forward. And so looking back and thinking those things, like you have to keep that out of your head. I just listened to the, have you heard the above the line, below the line? Where are you right now? I have not. Share that with me. So it's about living above the line. And when we live above the line, we're in a curiosity space. We're in a learning space. We're open. When we're below the line, which the human brain and, and humans are, we're conditioned to live below the line where we're you know, having negative thoughts. It's, it's a survival mechanism, you know, we're guarding ourselves. Well, that below the line space that we're conditioned to live in is, is a space where, you know, we, it, it's hard to move forward. And so there's this practice of just asking yourself, where am I? Am I above the line or am I below the line right now? And, you know, to get to that, where am I space is, is about, you know, coming into exactly where you are. That's, you know, touching, you know, opening your senses of, you know, sight, sound, smell, touch, right. And, and just grounding yourself in the right now and going, no, I'm, I'm above the line. So I am in a learning mode. I am in a curiosity mode. I'm open. Um, and that's where we need to live if we are going to be high performing and we're going to build companies, listen to customers and, you know, keep iterating. And for us at PartnerTap, it's all about focusing on what truly does drive revenue and partnerships and building the features that really help those companies do just that and being in that space of curiosity and learning about what 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 is that next thing that we need to do to help these companies grow more revenue what is that I love that you know I I didn't know the above and below the line but it's analogous to you know, our brain, our, our reptilian monkey brain, if you will, that was fight or flight. And then our mind, which we can control, we can learn to control our mind and our thoughts and our focus and 
you know, mindfulness, that mindfulness piece is the software and the brain is the hardware. I see it, that, I sort of see it from that same analogous way. But focusing, being mindful, focusing what, what our intentions are is what I'm hearing you say here. And in your case, it's the focus on the business is what I'm hearing. Tell me a little bit more about what is your vision for PartnerTap and where do you want to take this? So my vision for PartnerTap is really connecting the organizations around the world whether they partner in a B2B capacity or a B2C capacity, it's really about driving more revenue with each partnership. So that's number one. Number two on where this company goes, this is a a huge market opportunity. This is a company that can go to an IPO. We have grown faster Due to the pandemic, we've grown more in the last six months than we did in four years. This isn't going to change. It's just accelerated what what has you know been happening you know in inside of companies. So it's an exciting time, and there's the sky's the limit for Partner Tap. If you had a billboard, and this is a metaphor for a message you want to send out to the world, what would that billboard say? on it and why? Well, right now, what I would say is drive more revenue with every partner, partner tap. That's what I would say. I love that. (laughs) For a personal billboard. I mean, we talked a lot about women entrepreneurs and female leadership. And, you know, my message to every young woman out there is, you can do anything and that you put your mind to. And, you know, I was, had a wonderful upbringing and, and, you know, my mom stayed at home, but my father was just a workaholic. And, you know, he just always told me, you can do anything. If, if you want to go run a company, you can do it. If, you know, you want to be the, t- the top salesperson in a company, you can do it. So just having, you know, that cheerleader my entire life is, has just been awesome. And not everybody has that. And so I think, I think my, my billboard would, would be for, for all those females that, you know, have that male figure that supports you because it is about males supporting females especially right now, especially when we're seeing women leave in droves. And like you said, with your conversation with Gabriella Schuster, you know, we're seeing a decline with women in tech that that's just disheartening to me. So, you know, we need, we need, we need those male allies to, to help champion females. I love that. And so the billboard would read, you can do whatever you put your mind to. You can do whatever you put your mind to. I love that. I love that billboard. And to all of my fellow males out there, we need to be, learn to be more supportive, be good allies, and not just allies. I use the term champions. I Champion. think that we champions are what we need to be in order to help make this change that we want to see in this world. Yes. Cassandra, I have one more question for you. You've been an amazing guest. You're having a dinner party, and you can invite any three guests to this dinner party from the present or the past. And hopefully it'll be a socially distanced dinner in Arizona in that beautiful setting that you're in right now. 
I might stop by because I do love Arizona as much as I love Florida. Who would you invite to this dinner party and why? Can we pretend that socially distance is over and we're out of the pandemic? <laughs> yeah, we can. We can. Let's do this. Let's let's all be vaccinated for it. How's that? We'll all be good. <laughs> yes. So, you know, the person, the people that I would love to have dinner with right now are alive. I would love to have dinner with Oprah and Gail for sure. I I I look at Oprah as definitely somebody that overcame so many obstacles. And I I just I love her. I love her and I love Gail too. They are power, power women. And then I would I would have to bring Autumn Grimm. <laughs> it would be for, really for those of us on the podcast who don't know who Autumn is. <laughs> Maybe you can share. <laughs> yes. So Autumn Grimm is my co-founder. I would definitely have to bring her because if I had a dinner with Oprah and Gail and she wasn't there, she'd be really upset. And I know we'd have a great time at dinner with those two. I love it. <laughs> Oprah, Gail, and Autumn. Yes. What a great dinner. What are you going to serve? Well, I would hope that Oprah's chef is is cooking. <laughs> oh, come on. And it's going to, yeah, it's going to be off yeah. the charts. We catered, you know, to the nine. I'm ready. I want to thank you. You have been an amazing guest. I am so excited and charged by what you are doing in the world, both as a CEO of PartnerTap and the great technology you're driving, and also as a female entrepreneur, woman entrepreneur leading the charge right now in tech. So I want to thank you for joining the Ultimate Guide to Partnering, Cassandra. Thanks for having me, Vince. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at Vince M at ultimate-partnerships. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Ultimate Partnerships. Ultimate Partnerships helps you get the most results from your partnerships. Get partnerships right, optimize for success, deliver results. For more information, go to ultimate-partnerships.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.